Nexus PMG welcomes you to the Bigger Than Us podcast, which we as energy geeks lovingly refer to as the BTU. Bigger Than Us is a podcast that focuses on ideas that will shape the future of our planet and ultimately our existence. We will occasionally lean into energy topics because after all, it's the key to our collective survival, but we'll also explore other ideas and topics that we believe will have an impact that is bigger than us. And now, on to today's show. Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Jason Jacobs to the show. Jason is a longtime entrepreneur, most recently as founder of RunKeeper, one of the largest fitness apps, which was acquired by ASICS in 2016. He felt compelled to make his next chapter about purpose and is over two years into focusing on helping address climate change full-time via a podcast called My Climate Journey, a vibrant community of thousands of members that formed organically around the podcast, and a fund that backs several new climate techs every quarter across many geographies and sectors. Jason, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Raj, thanks so much for having me. Jason, thank you for joining us. Jason, where are you currently located? Uh, I am just outside of Boston, Massachusetts in the USA. And how's the weather up there? Uh, it's good. My, my hockey rink in the backyard finally froze uh, just a couple days ago. Uh, and it's the first time we ever had a rink and we got our first skate in over the weekend. Uh, and and that, that was a big thrill for my two young kids. So uh, it, it, whatever the temperature is, it's below freezing. <laughs> so you have a hockey rink in your backyard, huh? Small. Yeah, small. But uh, but it's 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 pretty great. Just, uh, I mean, the, the kids love it. And now uh, it's like a private, I've never had one before. It's a private sheet device right in our backyard. So even if it's small, it's super special to us. It seems like it's going to be an annual thing now. And how old are your kids? Five and eight. Wow. So we're pretty close. I have an eight, 10 and 12. So I, I I know what that pleasure looks like by seeing the look in their eyes. Yeah, and I grew up as a hockey player, so uh, I mean, especially my older boy is, is super into it uh, com- competitively now, and, and it's just been such a thrill as a father to kind of have that that shared experience together. We, we've been having a ball with it. That's fantastic. Well, Jason, I like to open the show by asking my guest the following question: If you were asked to share something interesting about yourself, what would it be? Hmm. Well, that's a that's a hard thing to answer because honestly, I don't think I'm I'm that interesting. I I uh, I mean, I work a lot. It's a huge kind of part of my being. Uh, my wife makes fun that when I uh, left my last company that I was working on for almost a decade, uh, I uh, I had nothing to do after being so overworked for so long, and so I actively stressed about like wellness and, and living a less stressful existence and integrative medicine and meditation and exercise and hydration and eating right. And so it's, you know, it's kind of just, I think pretty high strung and it's kind of work and it's fitness and it's family and, you know, occasionally friends, but, uh, but, um, yeah, probably a pretty complicated guy, but pretty simple in terms of my portfolio of interests, which makes me feel like I'm not that interesting. (laughs) <laughs> well, in my research, I think it's pretty interesting the journey you've taken to get where you are. Um, for the audience, if you don't mind just sharing briefly that journey so they can kind of get a hold of who you are. 
Uh, yeah. Well, and w- where do you want me to start? You know, if you want to start 10 years ago when you took off with RunKeeper? Uh, sure. Yeah. So, um, well, well, uh, the climate stuff I've been working on now is kind of what I would call the third act of my career. Uh, the first act, I, I was a liberal arts undergrad and kind of fell into small high growth venture backed startups. It's the only kinds of companies I've ever worked kind of in and around. Uh, and I growing up here or professionally here in the, in the Boston area, a lot of those startups were infrastructure software, like selling the plumbing of the internet, you know, data storage and optical networking and stuff like that to big banks and health systems. So loved the sport of business, loved, uh, you know, the competitive nature, working with great people, serving customers, growing revenues and profits, winning, uh, but really didn't personally relate to the widget ever. And because I'm not trained as an engineer, I didn't think I'd ever work in a technology company where I related to the widget and didn't really think that mattered. Uh, and I always aspired to start a company, um, but I uh, didn't think the widget mattered. So I was just looking at areas that I knew versus areas I was passionate about. And uh, it felt forced. Something was holding me back. Uh, you know, For years, I was like, you know, foaming at the mouth to go and do this. And I just wasn't pulling the trigger. I was starting to have self-doubt about, you know, whether I was really cut out to be an entrepreneur. And finally, I just forced my hand, said, um, you know, I'm going to quit my job when I get my once a year bonus. And I'm going to just like, you know, figure it out uh, with, with the hourglass of my life savings uh, turned upside down. And, um, and during that uh, time, biding my time for the bonus, I was driving myself crazy trying to figure out what kind of company to start. So I started training for my first marathon. And during that training, uncovered uh, not only a hypothesis of building this fitness technology company, but also that I was passionate about something besides building technology companies. It was fitness. Uh, and that fitness was a huge part of my life. So I had this hypothesis for where to start. But even if I was wrong, I was prepared to say that I was going to build, you know, spend the next decade or however long it took building a, fit- a big fitness technology company. Um, so, you know, I won't share all the gory details, but that was an almost decade journey, uh, raised close to $20 million in equity financing, plus a little bit of debt, uh, had a bumpy ride and, you know, company had a near death experience, uh, in the, in the middle there that was pretty gory, but we ended up, uh, riding the ship and getting healthy and getting profitable and, you know, but, uh, you know, in, in order to get there, cutting a third of the team and, Rebuilding the leadership team, excited about a more narrow, focused, profitable path and, and getting you know healthy, getting our narrative back and ultimately getting acquired for uh, you know, what was a very good outcome by, uh, by one of the big sneaker companies and uh, st- stayed on, ran uh, digital there for a couple of years and, um, and then left. So, so the first wave was about like, you know, building technology companies without caring about the widget in functional roles. The next wave was my entrepreneurial beginnings, but also uh, the beginnings of working in a domain that I loved. Uh, And when I left there, I kind of had this like wave of survivor guilt where, um, uh, where I felt that there was so much luck and privilege and timing that went into having the outcome we had. uh, And I wasn't worthy and that I owed it to society to make my next chapter about purpose and work on something really important uh, since I was in such a fortunate position I didn't, that I didn't feel like I deserved to be in. Um, and that's when I uh, landed on focusing on, on climate. So I can go into that, but I'll just kind of take a breath and see if you have any questions there before I just keep blabbering. Well, a couple of different things. First of all, for the audience that's wondering, Sneaker Company, it was ASICS, I believe. Is that correct? It was, yeah. 
All righty. And um, I love that image of our glass of life savings. Um, also, something I want to pull a thread on is the idea of a liberal arts. And I'm asking for selfish reasons because I, too, am a liberal arts guy and um, had a SaaS company for a you know a short while. Do you think um, having a liberal arts background helped you in your um, technology company? Uh, well, I mean, one of the things that I have big regrets about, actually, is that I I was like kind of a total screw up when I was younger. I mean, I uh, I skated through high school and really wasn't a good student. And I ended up going to a pretty good college, but I kind of didn't deserve to be there. It, it, uh, you know, it, I, uh, I chose it knowing I wasn't going to like it because I, you know, could, you know, because there was a chance I could get in because I played a sport and, uh, and then I kind of half-assed it through college as well and really wasn't passionate about the things I was learning about. So, um, uh, I don't know that there was necessarily like the classroom learning that that helped me, but but what I do think though is that there's a there was certainly a misconception when I was growing up in these technology companies that uh, that everyone needed to write code and and uh, and that you know if you didn't write code there really wasn't any place for you and and I I think that uh, couldn't be further from the truth. I agree with you wholeheartedly. So switching gears here, you know you mentioned the climate part. You are now the host of My Climate Journey podcast and so much more. Can you share with the audience why that podcast? You kind of mentioned how it, you kind of got interested in it, but the start of that podcast and where you're going with it. Uh, yeah. Well, when I was having that survivor guilt, I guess just to pick up the story where we left off, I st- uh, well, first, I just needed to rest and recover. But then when I started thinking about what's next, I said, I want to work on something really purposeful. And so I was looking at climate. And as I looked at it, I really didn't know a lot about it. And I, you know, I didn't know, really understand the problem. I didn't really understand the best ways to address it. I certainly didn't know how my skills would be transferable. Uh, and, and I talked myself into trying to build another consumer company. Uh, and I had a market I was looking at and, and I convinced myself it had a purposeful angle, but I think that was, uh, not necessarily true. And, uh, I, um, I had a few, VCs that I'd known a long time, uh, I kind of heard rumblings that I had a market I was getting excited about. So they convinced me to take a little bit of money, just almost not a company, just like an expedition with a bank account, essentially, and got the co-founding team from Runkeeper back together. And uh, and we got a few months in and we were looking at different areas where we could anchor. And um, it was actually pretty fertile ground, but, uh, and the, you know, the, I think my two co-founders were pretty excited to get to work building in any one of these areas. And what I realized was that the purpose element was really lacking for me, that the area we were looking at had everything except purpose, but that purpose was really paramount for me. Uh, and it was during that time that uh, the IPCC one and a half degree report came out and Trump took steps to try to withdraw us from Paris. And the, the scientific community was foaming at the mouth. No one was listening. Symptoms were becoming more visible and obvious. Uh, and, so increasingly my co-founders were getting impatient to get to building and I wasn't green lighting anything. And all I wanted to do was go walk in the woods and like find my purpose. Uh, and I was in this financial position where I had the flexibility to work on anything I wanted. And somehow I found myself building another vapid consumer company. So back in December of 2018, I still had almost all of that money in the bank. It was just a little bit of capital that we raised, uh, but I had more than 90% of it and just returned that to 
uh, the venture investors. And um, all those relationships are intact, but that was not an easy thing to do. And uh, came back into climate with all the same concerns about where I would fit, but a lot more determined to figure it out. Started just by reading and talking to lots of people, experts, trying to learn, uh, people that were had been working out a long time that were hitting it from different angles. And those experts said, you know, we're glad that new blood is coming in. I, you know, we're excited to see how your journey progresses. Keep me posted. So once a month, I started sending a monthly email just saying, here's the ground I covered since the last month. Here's uh, my learning so far. Here's some of the things I'm wrestling with. Here's some of the areas I'm tackling next. Then I would get introduced to a bunch more people. Then, uh, then the uh, distribution list for this newsletter started to grow. And after a few months of that, uh, some people from my old Silicon Valley life started increasingly raising their hands and saying they felt similarly and didn't know what to do or where to start. Uh, and I said, well, I don't know what you should do or I'd be doing it, but I wish you could be a fly on the wall for all these great discussions I'm having all day, every day. Uh, so the podcast was essentially just a way to stick mics in the hands of the people I was already learning from to build a knowledge repository for those that came after me. Uh, so I started recording those episodes and publishing them every week. I, th I think it might have even been two a week. And uh, I got a few months into that, and my inbox started filling up with uh, people who were binging on the podcast. Uh, they were really engaged, really grateful that the pod existed. They were really strategic, and they came from really diverse places. So I thought that was interesting signal. I knew about them, but they didn't know about each other. Uh, so I set up a Slack community just as a way to stick them all in the same digital room and see what happened. Uh, and that community is now taken on a life of its own where there's more than 1,200 members. Uh, there's some modest dues associated with it. Uh, members need to apply to for membership. It's not an exclusive thing, but it's just to keep the caliber high and, and make sure there's kind of mission alignment. And I could talk about those criteria if you're, if you're curious. Um, and uh, there's a number of great things that have come out of that community. There's a number of... Uh, um, founding teams that met in that Slack room. There's a bunch of nonprofits that have been started in out of discussions that started in there. Uh, there's a bunch of hiring that's been done. There's a bunch of companies that have raised money. There's funds that have gotten LPs in there. There's a bunch of events and programming by members and for members. There's a number of open source projects that are getting actively worked on. Uh, and along the way, initially for me, uh, there was kind of content and there was community. And I started investing in climate-focused companies just as a... Uh, Another way to get closer to the action, uh, it just intentionally small checks so I could be high rep when I found just teams that felt like the real deal that were focused on areas that could be big potential levers for decarbonization uh, that had some smart institutional money either in there or coming alongside. Uh, and I just started like writing these little checks when I found companies that fit this criteria. And I did probably 15 of those. Some of those companies started raising follow-on. Uh, started pulling together some SPVs to take bigger allocations in subsequent rounds, and then eventually raised a fund. Uh, so now we have kind of content community and capital, uh, and each of those is going to um, expand uh, independently, but also they they kind of feed each other and hopefully create a self-reinforcing flywheel. Well, as a member of that Slack group, I can tell you that you're absolutely right regarding the high caliber. And I will put a link into the information regarding the Slack group in the show notes. A couple of questions from what you said there. Number one, you mentioned the IPCC report. What, if anything specific regarding that report, struck you at that time? Uh, mostly, I I just felt despair. I felt like like 
this this is an existential problem, and there is uh, you know there's bold action that's required, and uh, and it seems like the scientific community seems to know what needs to be done, but as a, as a global society, we are in our own way, and we seem incapable or unwilling of doing the things that need to be done in the timeframes that they need to be done to avoid a whole bunch of catastrophic suffering and irreparable damages. Uh, so um, that was how I was feeling. And so it made it very hard, for example, to get excited about what the next generation of shopping looks like or, uh, or doing something in fitness again, uh, when I just c- couldn't help but feel like if we didn't get a handle on this big systemic crisis that was in front of us, then it would just, you know, like be a catalyst in a bad way. It would, it would like, uh, accentuate every other problem that we had as a, as a society. Uh, it would, it would be like, a um, like the waterline rising in the, you know, in the basement of a boat kind of thing, uh, where, where, you know, it's kind of getting closer to your neck and it keeps getting higher and it's not going to end well. Um, but you're down there and you're thinking like, did I take my vitamins today? Or, uh, um, or, or did I remember to put on deodorant? It's like, yo, like if you don't deal with the water, that's like coming up, that's going to like suffocate you soon and you're going to drown, then it's not going to matter whether you took your vitamins or your medicine or not. So I'm not going to speak for you. I'm going to speak for myself. You know, many a time I feel like I'm in an echo chamber because of the people that I speak to every week or almost every day regarding perhaps climate change, clean tech, et cetera. When I step out of that, I'm surprised as to how many people still haven't heard about climate change or aren't concerned about it? But I'm going to ask you, you know, since you started this journey, you mentioned people that were un- unwilling to do anything about it. Where in that arc do you think we are between people that are unwilling to do anything about it and people that are now willing to at least address or talk about it? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I don't really think about it on an individual level. I increasingly find myself just thinking of it as uh, an interrelated ecosystem, like almost like a rainforest or something where uh, like when I first came in, my, the first questions I was asking people was, were, uh, you know, is it too late? Are we screwed? Should we, should we even bother to try? Uh, and, um, and then I, I think the next wave, it was more like, oh, actually it's not too late, but a lot of the quote unquote climate action seems like it's noise. And there's some, you know, if you kind of boil it down to its essence, there are kind of a small handful of really big, important, uh, levers that could be pulled that could, uh, bring about the type of big, bold kind of system-wide change that we need. Um, and then I started realizing that even if that might be true, in order to bring those things about, there's a number of other things that needed to happen in parallel. For example, uh, you could say, well, um, you know, big industry is responsible for so much emissions. So like it's on big industry to change. And it's like, well, what's going to make big industry change? Well, uh, for one thing, we need policy. Okay, well, what's going to get the right policy in place? Well, we need, uh, pol- you know, we need it to be proposed and and to pass in uh, you know, in the government. Well, 
what's going to enable it to be proposed and passed in the government? Well, if we get elected officials in office who who care and believe that it's in their own self-interest to put that policy forward or they won't get elected. Well, how do we do that? Well, we get people, uh, we get voters to vote and voters to care. Well, how do we do that? Well, uh, we, you know, we fix our democracy. We increase education. We, uh, you know, we, we, we run campaigns. We, you know, we, we foster activism. Like what else could get big companies to move? Well, big companies would care if like the best employees out there didn't stay or wouldn't go work there if they didn't if they didn't step up their game well how do we get employees to pay care oh well we do consumer education and it starts in the schools and uh um and we have activist campaigns where we rally bottoms up within these companies right so it, it's like it it's like um everything is is interrelated uh and um and yes there are some outsized things some like policy initiatives that could really move the needle or uh you know, if we have a breakthrough in long duration storage or, or, or think or fusion or, uh, um, or, or things like that. But, but at the, at the same time, uh, everything matters. Like, you know, you, like you said, it's like, uh, it's like once you see what you can't unsee, and maybe it's a small percentage of people that see, but directionally, if we did nothing else other than get more people to see from wherever they sit, whether it's just like someone who's going about their day, who might be a voter or, or who makes purchases and cares about what products they buy or things like that, or someone who's like the leader of, uh, you know, of the biggest country in the world, right? Uh, you know, people are people. And once they see and once they care, then they want to use their platform for them from wherever they sit to try to do their part to help. So we just need more people to care. So I appreciate that, Jason. Um, I'm going to switch gears here and get to the crux of our conversation. And you kind of mentioned it earlier too, but I want to dig a little deeper regarding this purpose. And so the crux of the conversation is, you know, so you aligned what you're doing right now with you're saying your purpose your why but where does this, you mentioned the 10-year journey with with runkeeper but this intrinsic motivation to follow your purpose now where does that come from uh yeah i mean i mean i'm no psychologist and i don't know uh i think i'm self-aware of uh of what i need to do to feel fulfilled and live a purposeful life, but why I feel so like it's so important to, uh, to live a purposeful life. I don't, I mean, I'm no, I don't know that I have that level of, of self-awareness, but, uh, I mean, I, I think for me, like people derive their stress and their anxiety from different places. And for me, the big existential things that you seemingly can't control when you're just going about your day are the things that kind of get me the most. Um, and the other thing is just from a fulfillment standpoint, like I, I want to achieve, I want to build things. I want to create, I want to make an impact. I want to use my precious time on this planet wisely. Um, so there's kind of one element of just like, this is the biggest source of anxiety. One element of, uh, um, wanting to make my mark. Right. And then, and then one element of just like, uh, the, this, you know, the, it's the, I love the process. I, I love the sport of it. I love the competitive nature. I, I love, uh, um, building something from nothing. Uh, I, I like winning. I like, uh, I mean, I'm a capitalist, so, I mean, I also like, uh, generating wealth. Um, uh, and to the extent that you can align those things around something of purpose, that's, you know, something much, much greater than you. And, and if you can pull it off or even, you know, 
have a small part in moving the needle towards helping us collectively pull it off, then uh, then that would feel pretty good and certainly way better than if you were just chasing dollars, for for example. Well, staying on the idea of making your mark, my climate journey, I think you're about 140-ish episodes into it. What are some of your, and I'm not going to ask favorite guests, but what are some of your favorite perhaps conversations or technologies that you really enjoyed either speaking about or learning about? Uh, yeah, so, um, I mean, it's it's so hard since I cover such broad topics that I don't necessarily feel like I've achieved mastery anywhere. Uh, but I do think it's it's fascinating to start to unpack some of these thorny things from different perspectives. So take like a, a price on carbon, for example. And uh, I mean, yes, the GOP hates all taxation, for example. Um, but then there's some people on the Green New Deal side, for example, who um, are very progressive, who you know, who also don't necessarily believe that we need a price on carbon. Yet, uh, you know, most of the people I talk to uh, think it would help, and some people think we have to have it, and other people think that uh, well, we don't have to have it, but it would help. And then there's debate about which form it should take, and uh, and ca- carbon you know, price on carbon is is kind of um, representative of every thorny topic uh, in 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 this. Uh, in this area. I mean, you could say the same thing about, uh, um, you know, the portfolio of, um, oh, here's a good one, like electrify everything versus things like carbon capture, carbon removal, uh, uh, you know, all all that kind of stuff. And, uh, or, um, or eliminating natural gas versus, um, you know, better, uh, um, you know, doing a better job of leak prevention uh, uh, across natural gas pipelines to avoid methane emissions, right? Um, it's like this, none of this stuff, in my mind, has easy answers. And and anyone that comes out so boldly and says, like, you know, this thing is the way and that thing is wrong, like, I, I just find that the answer is almost always that it's a lot more nuanced than that. But at the same time, uh, you know, nuance is like code for you know, for status quo and in action. So, um, whereas we need bold action. So, uh, it's really kind of thorny and complicated to, um, to think about how to move forward. And then everything has unintended ripple effects that are negative as well. Uh, I mean, you can say, um, uh, you know, we need to kill all fossil fuel and then someone else will say, well, what about the billion people that don't have access to basic electricity and can't put food on the table and, and eat like energy poverty is more important than, than climate change in many parts of the world. Right. Um, and, and that's easy for you to say that it isn't sitting in your, you know, affluent suburb, uh, you know, in, uh, as, as one of the biggest emitters, uh, you know, in, in the world. Right. So, um, I mean, that's, Yeah. I, I mean, I'm I'm kind of rambling, but I, but I find that I'm more drawn to the systems nature of it and the dynamics and the interplay across all of these um, disparate things that are that are also so interrelated than I am by any one technology or sector. You know, I, I feel the same way. We too have a very broad um, list of guests and topics, and I, I I look at it from a holistic perspective also rather than you know siloed effect, but. Um, I, I appreciate you reflecting on the different challenges within the system and perhaps how different people do view them. Yeah. So you've been on this, you've been on this journey a little over two years. What are the most valuable lessons that you say you've learned about yourself? Well, I mean, one is just that that. Uh, well, I mean, not to get too introspective, but like I am 
working as hard now as I've ever worked. Uh, and, um, I am not in a position, uh, financially where that necessarily needs to be so. And, uh, so one might look at that and say, you have young kids and, uh, and, you know, there's so much going wrong in the world. Like, why aren't you, you know, taking more time to smell the roses? Uh, and of course in the pandemic, you're not going to be taking vacations or things like that, but it's like, uh, you know, like just, you know, relax, sleep late, exercise, coach little league. Right. And, um, uh, and that's not really how I'm wired. And so on the one hand, I think that's a, I've learned that that is a, a superpower in terms of achievement. Um, but I, I can't help also, but sometimes think, uh, like, how am I going to feel about that when I'm, uh, you know, when I'm old and am I gonna, uh, you know, be proud that I use my time in that way? Or, or am I going to wish that I, uh, you know, that I, that I use it differently. And that's a hard one because I, I love both, uh, right. They're both so important and dear to me. And, um, uh, I don't necessarily have a, have a clear answer there, but, but that's one thing is, is that I am wired that way. So you can, you can nitpick about whether it's healthy that I'm wired that way, but that's one learning is that I'm wired that way. Um, another thing is that everything about this process, um, like when I left uh, Runkeeper and before I found something new, I was looking to find something to build um, versus focusing on what would be fulfilling. And when I let go of focusing on the thing to build and I just focused on what is a problem that feels worthy of solving? And then I gave myself the freedom to just investigate the problem without necessarily needing to investigate like, what kind of company am I going to build? Does it need to be a company? Is it going to be venture scale? Uh, you know, who are my teammates going to be? And I just said, I'm just going to learn more about this problem so I can better figure out how it needs to be addressed. And I'll figure out where I fit later. And then everything just magically started kind of unfolding organically in this really natural organic way that hasn't been scripted and hasn't been preordained. And it's probably happening bigger and faster than if I tried to manufacture it, um, you know, uh, any other thing that I might've looked at before I got to this point. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned that second part. I recently had the pleasure of interviewing Josh Aviv from Spark Charge. Mm -hmm. And um, he said the reason he started his company was because I think it was in his sophomore year, I could be mistaken, in college anyway, a professor asked the question, you know, what problem do you want to solve? And that was the impetus for him to start his company. I, yeah, I mean, I, that was what really tripped me up about the false start I had in between Runkeeper and now is that the idea wasn't a problem to solve. It was an emerging media format that had applications in lots of categories beyond the category that it started. And we were going to build a studio that experimented in different categories and built a, and built a tech-enabled content portfolio. That was a really viable capitalist idea, but it was a solution in search of problems, in search of places to apply it. And what I learned about myself, it's not a judgment on people that start companies that way, but I can't work that way. I need to start with the problem and then work backwards to the best way to address it. Um, so that, I guess that was a long-winded way of helping me figure out that that's the most important thing I learned about myself. Well, I think it's a great way to find out. So it's 10 years from now, let's call it 2030, Magic Wand. What does the My Climate Journey platform look like? Uh, well, because it's been such an organic, unscripted process, I, I don't know that I can really say, but I think what gets us excited is that there's just so much possibility in front of it. Uh, you know, we have uh, a main podcast and and we have a startup series and there's likely another kind of content series that we'll be launching soon. And, um, 
you know, but even if you just look at content, uh, I mean, audio is just one way that people consume information and, uh, and there's a lot of other both types of information and ways that people consume information that they would be interested in on the content side as it relates to the kinds of people we serve and the kinds of things we're helping them to do. And then same thing with the community. You know, we have a Slack room and, and people have, you know, before the pandemic, they were starting to host meetups in different uh, cities all over the world. And there's some digital events that they've been doing by members and for members. And we've started putting on some events and kind of convenings around like an open source project or, or things like that, or uh, a, um, a make-a-thon where they all get together in, in little project teams and, and build stuff. Um, but there's a lot of possibility, both digitally and in the physical world, once we're able to get back together again, where we, we could see community initiatives, as well as crossover between community and content. And on the fun side, we started with this little rolling fund, um, and we have these great LPs involved that can be really helpful to us and really helpful to the growing portfolio of companies. And we're really pleased with the growing portfolio of founders and companies that we're getting involved with. And we're getting more and more deal flow, and we're getting more access, and we're able to be more and more helpful post-investment. And then some of these companies are starting to raise follow-on now, and and uh, you know we're starting to pull together some SPVs beyond the fund. But directionally, you know, we could see other asset classes so that we could stay with more of these companies, you know, for the ride over time since we're getting in so early. Um, so the fund is separate and distinct from the content and community initiatives, but we also see clearly how they can feed each other, and it's important that uh, you know that the content and the community maintain their objectivity and and don't just become like a marketing arm of the fund, but we can see how having the fund will make the, you know, the community more valuable and how having the community will make the fund more valuable. And we can also see how we can take any one of those three buckets and have a big, strong, independent company and roadmap on its own. Um, But I think if you look at that flywheel, that's where we really start to get excited. So I don't really know what shape that takes over time. It just feels like it can be a shape that kind of snowballs into something much bigger and more impactful than it is today. Well, I love the overlap of capital, community, and content, and I really enjoyed speaking with you. My last question is, if you could share some advice, and you did earlier too regarding problem solving or looking for problems to solve, but if you could share some specific words of advice or wisdom with the audience, and it could be personal or professional, you sound like a very introspective gentleman, what would they be? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, people, people come to me for advice a lot, not because I'm super smart in these areas, but because I've found a way to have impact and hopefully the beginnings of what will be a livelihood in an area that I wasn't an expert and came in without much, uh, foundational knowledge or connections. Um, so, um, and so people feeling that way, what do they want? They want to talk to someone who recently made that transition successfully. And you can't call my transition a success, but it's, it's like, it's at least turned a corner into something that could grow into a success over time. Um, and I, I think, you know, they say, should I get a job or should I read a book or should I go to an event? Or And the answer is that it matters much less where you start. It matters much more that you just start. Uh, and, and a lot of it comes down to you and what's going to feel most natural to you, where you are most intellectually interested, um, uh, you know, what, what you ha- uh, are you know, what feels less forced in terms of your ability to stick with it and, and experiment, try different things, do more of what works and, and less of what doesn't. And if you're the kind of person that feels like you would be more fulfilled to get a job and get some experience and then build from there, 
then do that. If you feel like you're the kind of person that wants to just get a lay of the land and keep your job and nights and weekends, just educate yourself and start to have some discussions. And so you can be more informed about where to anchor before you pull the trigger on your employment, then do that. Uh, so it, I think it, it comes down much more to the individual. Um, and I do think it's important that people are honest with themselves uh, about um, identifying what is the most natural path for them. But they should also just kind of uh, give themselves permission to not have to have all the answers. I love that idea. Experiment. And it's okay if you don't have all the answers. You mentioned books. Are there any favorite books that you've read on climate change or in the periphery that you'd recommend? Uh, I mean, I haven't had time to read that many books lately, uh, but um, I can't remember the name of it, but the, uh, actually, I might have it right here. The, the, um, the book by Russell Gold, Superpower, uh, that, that was a pretty good one. Um, uh, and um, there was another book, I think it was called The Grid, that just, it was more like uh, everything about like how the electric grid works, and it's so non-intuitive, and, uh, and uh, that was pretty enlightening for me. Um, I mean, drawdown, if you're just looking for more kind of coffee table reading, but you want to understand some of the problem areas, uh, the, there's an organization, Project Drawdown, that has um, a book that goes through uh, the solution areas and, and how much impact they can have on emissions. Um, yeah, those are some of the ones that come to mind. But I have a big list of books queued up, and then I keep downloading more on my Kindle, and then I keep not having time to get to any of them. So uh, um, I don't know that I'm the best person, unfortunately, to be giving book recommendations. It sounds like my challenge. Just yesterday, I pre-bought the uh, new Bill Gates book coming out in February regarding climate change. But uh, to your point, I highly recommend Drawdown too. I think that's a great uh, entry point. And both Superpower and The Grid are on my um, Kindle reading list too. So appreciate you sharing those, Jason. Really enjoyed speaking with you. And I look forward to continued success of my climate journey and catching up with you again soon. Sounds great, Raj. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And you can show your support by sharing our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. If there's a subject or topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email, btu at nexuspmg.com or contact me via our website, nexuspmg.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter where we share what we're reading and thinking about in the clean tech, green tech sectors. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production.